Hi and welcome back. I'm Dave and this is Police Story Podcast. This is a series of short stories uh, about my 28-year police career in the UK across three different forces, as we'll get into a bit later. Um, thanks very much for the downloads. are continuing really well. And uh, this week we're going to talk about the courts and the British court system. Uh, it's a controversial system. Does it work? Well, there's a controversy straight away. It can be a very frustrating system that just takes forever. You know, I mean, the, the process is so long and it's very difficult when you're dealing with victims, you know, who expect instant results um, or frustratingly don't understand that once a case is passed over to the court and appears at court, it's kind of out of the police's hand. You know, if we put the evidence to the court, Ultimately, it's for the judge or jury or maybe both to make the decision um, on uh, on what happens. And more importantly, the sentencing. That's the big problem. Uh, and that's the big issue I have with it, um, which is always frustrating throughout my career. Although they have guidelines in relation to sentencing for different offences, it's completely down to the uh, the judge, magistrate, uh whoever it is, um, on the day, the sheriff, etc., to make the decision as to what the sentence is. And you can't have a black and white answer because no two shopliftings are the same. You know, assaults vary from, you know, basic common assaults, low level up to very high, you know, attempt murders um, prior to getting to murder. So, of course, there has to be a range. But, you know... Two uh, medium-level assaults, perhaps with a broken nose, could be run the same day with the same judge and the same jury. And, uh, you know, one you think like a decent sentence for that 10, 20 years ago might have been a couple of years, for example, for a punch on the nose, broken nose, fairly straightforward assault, maybe a couple of years. Um, now it's been vastly reduced. You know, you, you probably on a first offence wouldn't even get, uh, you know, prison time for that. But literally there is no consistency. On one day, you know, you could, that sentence could be five years, even now, you know, for seemingly no reason. And another person may get six months suspended sentence. Well, what suspended sentence means is that the person doesn't go to prison, they have a record and that goes on their record that they've got that six month suspended sentence. But as long as they keep their nose clean for six months, they don't get in trouble with the police. That's the end of it. Regularly, I would have, and people don't understand that, you know, and I'm not surprised, regularly you'd have victims ringing you up who'd been at the court, you know, and said, oh, I see they got a year suspended. So does that start straight away? What prison are they going to? And you have to explain to them, that doesn't actually mean they're going to prison. That means they've basically just got to keep out of trouble for that period of time um, and nothing happens to them. If during that time, you know, they've got a one-year suspended sentence, if during that time they commit another offence and get arrested and ultimately get a sentence for that, their original one year that they got suspended gets added to uh, whatever the new offence is. So there we go. Yeah, so court's a difficult one. Um as I say, pretty controversial. A scary place to be, to be honest with you, as a cop and um, as, a, as a civilian witness as well. You know, lots of people are very worried 
about attending court and, and I include cops in that and, and experienced ones as well. You know, it's it's never a nice place to be. Um, I think there's always a concern of what you're going to be asked. You know, some of the sort of courtroom dramas haven't helped, certainly, in building it up in people's mind. But um, they say that the loneliest place to be is the box with a difficult question. And by the box, I mean the witness box, because it is physically a box you sort of stand in. Um, quite often when you go to court, or certainly when I've been to court, and I've been quite a few times, um, you know, there can be absolutely no issues. If I'm going to court and I know that everything was straightforward and done correctly and there's no issues, then happy days. I quite enjoy it. It's, it's a sort of verbal jousting with a solicitor who will try and make you out to be either a bad cop, a cop that lies, someone who makes stuff up or has, you know, bent the rules or broken the rules, you know, any of those things. They're looking to discredit you, basically. But they haven't got a lot of ammunition in their arsenal, to be honest with you, as we'll come on to a bit later. Um, and if you're going to court on a sound job with no issues, happy days, I'll go there all day long and you can, you know, ask me questions and make me out to be this, that and everything else. But I know ultimately there's no problems. However, the difficulty comes and there's probably been twice in my career where I've had court cases that, you know, maybe I have bent the rules a bit or for whatever reason, the case has been a little bit edgy. And there's been perhaps two or three weak points that to me are glaring because I've investigated it and put the evidence together. And you're going into court quite nervous because you're really hoping that those are the particular areas you don't get asked about because you have to answer truthfully. If you don't, it's a big deal. It's perverting the course of justice. Um, and uh, that, that or, well, or maybe perjury, depending on the scenario, which are similar sorts of offences, but... They're both viewed as very serious, particularly for a police officer. Um, you know, you're looking at big trouble, probably losing your job, maybe even prison time for yourself. You know, so depending on what, what the level is, you know, if you just put in the wrong bit of paperwork or something, it, you know, it's it's a rap on the knuckles. Uh, but obviously ranging up to in some scenarios, we've seen terrible things where, you know, cops have lied or committed, you know, really bad criminal offences. But certainly a couple of times I've been where, um, you know, there's just been those two areas, perhaps, or one area, one question you think, do not ask me that question. If you ask me that question, and when I answer it, it's going to make me look really bad, really unprofessional. And as long as they, if they've discredited you in some way, then that's their sort of job done in terms of um, the prosecution, because, um, or the defence, you know, they're looking to, to so, you know, discredit you, basically. And then from there, they'll build on that, in that why their client should be allowed off, you know, not guilty. But again, we'll come on to that in a bit. So firstly, there's different types of courts in the UK. In England and Wales, you have two levels of court. Effectively, you have magistrate's court, which is the lower level. That deals with your, your motoring offences, sort of low-level assaults, and pretty much anything is that lower level. Um, there's no jury involved. It's the magistrate themselves, him or her, that would decide on, firstly, whether you're guilty, and secondly, um whether you know what sentence you get uh, but again you see that's down to that one person or, or occasionally there is more than sometimes there's two or three magistrates sit but generally it's one magistrate it's down to them to decide you know what you get and it pretty much comes down to what side of the bed they rolled out that's in that morning you know as to what your sentence is getting and this is why I think in some cases it's so fair I've got to be honest you know I can't come up with a better system and I don't know how you could fix it but it can be very frustrating so you've got magistrates court England and Wales very low level 
then the next level up for the much more serious offences um, is Crown Court. That's where you have a judge rather than a magistrate, so you have a more senior judge, um, sometimes a high court judge, which would be a malord. And again, that's an issue on how you address these people, which we'll come on to in a sec. Um, Crown Court always sits with a jury, jury of 12 good men and women. Um, and that in itself is a, is a drama. You know, the, the, ju the uh, jury is picked very early on in the trial, at the beginning of the trial. Um, and, you know, solicitors from both sides can look at the backgrounds of people and decide who they do or don't want. And sometimes they base that around the case. If it's a particular area that the, the case happened in, they may pick a certain type of people. Um, sometimes, you know, other th other reasons come up, what the offence is. You know, if it was a sexual offence, it might choose them to pick, you know, uh, a particular type of person. If it's a child involved, again, you know, so they can kind of reject uh, this pool of jurors. They pick their 12 people and they can reject or take people based on various things. And they don't really have to give reasons why as well. But that whole swearing into the jury process can take quite a while. So magistrates and, and Crown Court in, in England and Wales. And then in Scotland, you've got the Sheriff's Court, which is basically the same as the magistrates, the lower level court. And then you've got the High Court, which would deal with, again, your more serious offences with a jury. Occasionally in Scotland, the Sheriff's Court can have a jury as well. So the lower level one can have a jury too. Um, but the most confusing thing can be how to address the judge. Um, and that's a big deal for a cop going to appear um, to give evidence, the, the last thing you want to do is obviously get it wrong. So invariably for a police officer, you get called to court, you're notified, right, we want you at court this day. It's a big bugbear for cops because, um, you know, a busy cop could have um, two or three court cases a week. You know, in a year, you could have 20 times you're asked to attend. Now, unfortunately, let's say there's a witness list of 10 people for a shoplifting you know, you've got two or three witnesses, you've got the security manager, you've got the CCTV, you've got a couple of people on the till that witnessed it, and then maybe there was a bit of a struggle when the person was arrested. So you've got a couple more witnesses. So before you know it, you've got 10 witnesses in that case. What they don't do is look at it and go, hmm, so we only really need the cop and, you know, the store detective who saw it. That'll do us because we've got written statements of the other people and CCTV evidence. They don't do that. What they tend to do is just carte blanche, right, we'll have all the witnesses, even if you played a really minor role, and that's particularly as a police officer. So in a big fight, for example, or something like that, you could have uh, 10 police officers go to it, you know. Um, all 10 of those will be called, even if, you know, one of them made no arrests, played very little role, and has written a statement, as I say, detailing their role, which was perhaps very little. Doesn't matter. You're getting called to court. And that's where the system falls down again, because um, it's very difficult for a police officer to get out of court. You can put in an excusal. Invariably, what will happen is they'll fall in the middle of your annual leave. So you've booked a holiday abroad. It's all paid up for. You're looking forward to it. Family's looking forward to it. You get a court request come in right in the middle of that annual leave. So you'll invariably put in an excusal and say, look, you know, I'm going to be abroad. I can't, you know, I can't attend that. Um most of the time, it will get sorted and they might pick a new date or uh, the solicitors may look at it and decide, well, actually, you play a very minor role. We've got a written statement, as they always would, so we're not going to bring you to court. Very occasionally, they will insist. Um, and we've had scenarios where cops have had to travel back in the middle of holidays to go to court. 
Uh, and, and frustratingly, even when you go to court, there's no guarantee you'll actually be called. It depends how it goes. So for a police officer um, going uh, to court for the morning, invariably there'll be a police witness room. You'll go up to the room and you'll sit there along with all the other cops of the day who are waiting to go, you know, to sort of um, deal with their trials. You know, there could be half a dozen trials or more. It depends, you know, in some of the bigger courts, they might have 10 courts sitting in a day within the same courtroom. On other ones, you know, just have one a day and they might have half a dozen cases and they try and get through them. But because these things vary so much, they might have six trials listed for the day and actually only one gets heard because the evidence is a lot longer for whatever reason. So that means all the witnesses, both civilian and police officers that turned up for those five other cases, don't get to go to court. They sit there all day for nothing, basically. They get stood down and then six months later, they get recalled to court on the same trial. You know, I've been called back to trial probably half a dozen times on the same case over the period of two years, you know, which is pretty ridiculous, particularly as because for whatever reason, you may not have written a statement at the time. So two or three years later, you're being asked to both write a statement and recall what happened on this incident that comes to trial. You know, uh, COVID hasn't helped. The, there was a massive backlog for, for COVID, obviously, because the courts closed. And then when they did reopen, they could only hear, you know, a tiny percentage of, of what actually needed to be done. So there's a huge, huge backlog. Um, and here we are, you know, a good couple of years after COVID. And I don't think they're anything like through that backlog. There's still cases two, three years ago that are coming up now to trial. So, so that's a definite problem. So you sit in your... Um, in your police room, basically, waiting to be called to court as a witness. You'll have your statement from the day to refresh your memory. You're not allowed to discuss that case with any of the other cops in the room because some of those cops will be from your um, from your case and others will be, you know, for various other cases. But 100%, you cannot discuss that case within that room. That does not happen. Um, and there's normally a little intercom on the on the room and uh, you'll just get a buzz on there and it'll say, you know, PC so-and-so, police council, whatever, officer so-and-so, sergeant, whoever, inspector, blah, blah, to court number three. And you'll know where that is. Or sometimes you'll get an usher, a court usher that will come to that room and physically walk you to the uh, the, the, the um, courtroom. And what happens is normally, depending on it, whether I'm familiar with that court or not, I'll be speaking to the usher on the way down or I'll have already found out who's sitting on the trial today and how do I refer to them? Because it varies massively. <clears throat> so for example, a magistrate um, down south would be referred to as your worship. Um, whereas a, um, a crown court judge would be your honor. However, if they happen to be um, a high court judge, sometimes they can be a lord or a m'lady. Um, it can be quite confusing and you have to be careful because the last thing you want to do as a really bad start in court is to refer to someone as your worship when you found out that, you know, actually they're a your honour or a milady. Um, so that's something you really want to make sure you're right. You'll, you'll be led to the box, the infamous witness box. You stand up and if you're religious or if you're going to go that way, then basically you take the oath. You hold the Bible in your right hand and there's a a piece that's either read out to you that you read back sort of verbatim or you'll be given like a plastic card and you just read off there and obviously it says that you swear by God you're not going to tell any porky pies basically, any lies, etc. There's a bit more to it. Alternatively, if you're not religious at all, there there is an affirmation you can take 
that doesn't involve any sort of um, you know religion. Um, and they cater for obviously all uh, religions, you know, so there's a Quran there, there's a whatever. Um, so you can swear to whoever you want to that you're, you're going to tell the truth, etc. And then it starts. And for, uh, for a police officer, again, uh, quite often it will start off the prosecution. And that's the nice bit. This is your easy time you're going to get um, where you're basically led spoon fed, if you like, through your evidence. So officer, confirm that you were, you know, on duty at this day and that you attended this incident, you were called to report to a fight or whatever, and you're basically just agreeing with them. Yes, that's that's correct. Now, down in England and Wales, when you're in a court, you're asked questions, <coughs> excuse me, by the, uh, by the solicitor or the barrister, which is like an upper level of solicitor, if you like. However, you have to turn an answer to the um, the actual judge. Um, now that's a little bit strange to start with because this person's asking you questions, you don't answer them, you turn and then and reply to the judge. It takes a bit of getting used to, as I say, but it's quite good because if you're under the cosh a bit and you're getting a difficult question, it just gives you a couple of seconds to sort of think of what your answer is before you turn. Particularly if the solicitor's getting really aerated with you and putting the pressure on, it enables you to have that sort of disconnect. But in Scotland, it's different. Um, you will be asked by the solicitor the questions, but you answer them. You don't sort of answer as well. If there's a jury, I quite often try and direct my answer a bit to the jury because they're the ones I'm potentially trying to convince that, you know, this person has committed this crime. Uh so yeah, and that and that's how it goes through. Um, so my first time in court was a very strange one. Um, I'd been to an incident in a forest with a pal early on in my career, and we'd it was a burnt out car. That was that was the reports, and it wasn't even burning. I think it was already out. So it had obviously burnt itself out overnight, and we got called there in the morning. And it was simply a burnt out car in a forest. That was it. We called recovery, they took the vehicle away and we forgot about it. You know, it's a sort of total um, bread and butter job, something you deal with, lots um, could have been stolen, <clears throat> could have been various reasons for it to have been set alight. So we dealt with that, tiny bit of paperwork, and there would have been some follow-up work in relation to whose car it was, etc., insurance companies, but that may not have involved me. Um, and that was the end of the job. Uh, so six months later, having not been called to court yet as a new cop, I get um, called to court, given a date, but it's not my local magistrate's court for one of the numerous shopliftings I dealt with at that point. It was to the adjacent county, which was unusual in itself, but it was also to Crown Court, the more serious court, and it was for a murder trial. So I was completely shocked. Um, and I have to say, my initial impressions were fairly scared. Um, and I was, uh, and what actually happened was, and unbeknownst to me, because I knew none of this, basically it was a murder trial that had run from, I think it was London. And a guy had, a nurse had finished duty, uh, she'd come off duty uh, in, a, I think it was a care home. And she was traveling back home through um, a, a forest, funnily enough, but a totally different area. Um, and her car had died. So she pulled over to the side of the road and at the same time, a car pulled him behind her um, and she had no phone and she was in the middle of nowhere and it was at night in the woods. Um, 
and it's believed that you know she was quite relieved that another car had pulled in because she was able to say can you ring someone for me or could you take me to the nearest phone box remember this was the days where people didn't have mobile phones um and unfortunately what happened was the car that pulled in behind her was her husband um and i think he'd been having an affair and certainly they've been having some marriage difficulties and it was all a big plot and basically he approached her in the car she initially presumably was relieved that it was him but unfortunately, he then stabbed her to death. Um, and what he'd done was, it turned out, was he was quite a whiz electronically. And he'd managed to put some device into her car um, that when he followed her with a remote control in another car behind and pressed a button, it basically killed her engine. And he could do that on a whim at any point. So he'd set this all up. He knew when she finished work, he'd followed her away from work. And then when she was in the middle of nowhere in this wood, um, he pressed the button, killed her car engine. Obviously, she then rolled to the side and, and she was attacked and killed. <clears throat> it turns out the car he'd used that he'd followed her in, he had then dumped in my local forest and set alight. So now I was being called to Crown Court for my very first time as a, as a witness. So it was a pretty scary prospect for me, having never been before, um, to go to this, you know, this big trial. So on the day I was, I was called to court and I went down with the usher and in my mind it was, um, it was a your honour that I was going to refer to the judge. It was a male and I'd, I had that in my mind and I was happy and I was saying to the usher, you know, so uh, just confirming, you know, so it's, it's your honour, isn't it? You know, and I said, oh no, no, he said, this is Lord Chief Justice, you know, whoever. And uh, no, he's a, he's a my lord, you know, this is a much bigger deal. And I was like, oh, brilliant, you know. Not only is it the big court, now it's, you know, <clears throat> top Johnny Banana as well, judge. So, uh, yeah, I was fairly nervous going in, in there anyway. So I get into the box, take my oath, and then it starts. And as I say, it starts off quite nicely. You know, it's it's your side effectively. And they're asking you the questions. Confirm you're on duty. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. yes, I was on, I was on duty. Um, yeah, and you went to here. Yes, I did, you know. So, oh, this is great, you know. And I'm relaxing now. And so I'm thinking... This is all right, this court lark, this isn't too bad. Anyway, so once they've sort of confirmed all the details with me, and bear in mind, I played a very, very tiny role in this trial. Um, and this is what I mean about a bit frustrating that you're called for this, really. Um, up stands um, the defence barrister. Now, barristers are another level, you know, they're very highly paid. Um, they have to do a, a years and years of legal training and then eventually pass an exam called the bar, which is a really complicated uh, legal exam, you know, they're, they're very high level and, and they're all very switched on. Um, interestingly, there was a, a UK TV series called Rumpole of the Bailey, which dealt with uh, a barrister and he was your classic um, barrister. He was a very big man, big rosy cheeks. And of course, they wear the big white curly wigs you may have seen and the red, or sorry, not the red robes, but the robes, the black robes. Um, and um, you know, they can be quite a sight to behold. And it, it's all theatrical, to be honest with you. There's an awful lot of huffing and puffing goes on and playing up to the jury. And and what they're really looking to do, as I said earlier, is discredit you and belittle you, you know. Um, so this guy gets up and starts off with a few easy questions, kind of eases me into it. And remember that he's asking me questions and then I'm having to turn and uh, give my answers um, to this high court judge. So there's that little bit of a disconnect. Anyway, 
He starts off and he goes into a great big long theatrical tirade, building up to a crescendo, getting louder and louder, you know. Um, and he was just like someone off of Rumpole of the Bailey, which is why I brought it up. And um, he eventually says, so tell me, officer, what sort of damage is uh, committed to vehicles that are dumped in this way? And I thought, what a ridiculous question. You know, it's such a broad area. I don't know how I'm going to answer it. So I turned to, um, you know, the high court judge and said, well, my lord, you know, how long is a piece of string? And um, he sort of nodded and agreed with me. The jury had a little chuckle. Um, and when I turned back to the barrister, I thought his head was going to explode. You know, he's he's already got himself sort of all puffed up with this big, long thing he'd gone into. And then me coming back with this, quite frankly, cheeky answer hadn't helped. And the jury chuckling and sort of making him looking a bit silly really didn't help. And uh, yeah, he absolutely exploded, you know, going on and on. However, the judge had already cut in and said, uh, you know, I quite agree. I agree with the officer. Can you direct, you know... Uh, a better question to him, please. That's just too broad, you know, something like this. So he agreed with me as well, and it, it didn't it didn't go well for the barrister. Um, it went downhill from there, really. But obviously, uh, you know, there was absolutely nothing I, quite frankly, could have done wrong, really, in recovering this vehicle. And this is how it went on. But it was a fairly it was a fairly scary time, and I was glad to get it out of the way. Um, so that was my first uh, trial. And the other thing, when you the other thing you can have is, uh, it's certainly in the lower level courts, in the magistrates and the sheriffs, you can have people representing themselves. Now, quite frankly, this is always quite entertaining because this is a member of the public who has zero knowledge of the legal system, that is um, trying to represent themselves and and obviously get themselves off of whatever it is. Generally, it's the lower level stuff. As I say, have no clue about procedure or courts or how it runs, and probably their training is from the telly, you know, which, if it's run pole of the Bailey, is not going to end well. So it's always quite amusing to be called by someone like that. But it, you have this bizarre scenario. You can have this person that you might have had a fight with at the scene at a big punch-up, you know, and now they're standing in court asking you questions. And, of course, they have no clue and will come out with some really silly and, quite frankly, funny questions. Um... I've already said about the referring uh, to, to judges, etc. You can have some funny times in courts. And as I say, it's it's my lord, it's your worship, it's, you know, um, my lady and all the rest of it. We had one of our locals uh, to where I finished up working um, who insisted on calling the judge your majesty and went through the entire trial referring to them as your majesty, which every time he did it got a chuckle. Um, I'm not sure he was aware he was doing it or not, or whether, or whether he got it wrong. But um, yeah, it did uh, did raise a laugh at the time. So so back to our people representing ourselves. I had one where um, very early on. Now I don't like traffic stuff, and I generally very rarely gave out tickets unless it was horrendous, uh, a horrendous case of speeding or something. But when I was uh, first in the job, you have to sort of tick off a few boxes. Some of those are, you know, giving out tickets for people jumping a red light, for example. So I was sat up with my tutor um, in a particular place watching people kind of uh, jump in red lights. And, and I had to give out, you know, like three tickets or something um, just to get this tick in the box to, con you know, continue with my career, as it were. Um, and, and it was a bit of an issue. We'd had a, an accident, a nasty accident on this particular set of lights where, a uh, member of the public had been run over basically by someone jumping the lights. So there was a reason to it. We weren't just doing it for fun. 
uh, people will say, oh, I'm sure that, you know, you're you're doing this because you like doing it or you're doing it because, uh, you know, you get a pay rise or you're getting a bonus for each ticket you're issued. You know, that's absolute rubbish. It doesn't happen. And most cops I know, you know, do not enjoy that side of it at all. Anyway, someone jumps the light. It was a bit of an outrageous jumping of the light as well. Um, it wasn't just like an amber gambler, as we might say, where he's just nipped through on the last bit or the very first bit of red. This was like a full four or five seconds into the red light. He's gone cruising through and we can see from where we're sat in the car, he's actually got a um, a document that he's holding in his hand on this resting on the steering wheel. That he's reading from as he goes through. So it was a bit of a cheeky one. So anyway, we stop him and... Um, at the time, he basically says, yeah, fair enough, you know, I'm trying to get to the airport and I, I did jump the light, you know, and I did have the document and I said, well, fair enough, but I've got to issue this ticket. So I'll write the ticket out and that's it. He can normally accept the ticket. At the time, I think you got about a £60 fine and sort of three points in your driving licence and that was it. It was pretty straightforward job done. However, you can elect to take it to trial if you don't agree with it. And that's what he did, surprisingly, because at the time he'd fully admitted it, which he, we'd obviously recorded in our evidence. Um, but he decided he was going to fight it and he was going to represent himself. So I knew this was going to be entertaining, and it was. The poor guy, I did feel for him, you know, he has no clue of court procedures. So constantly these people have to get prompted by either the judge or maybe even, you know, the fellow solicitor saying, look, it's your turn, you've got to say so. And so oh, right, OK. Um, and, and so it goes on. And it's not a financial thing either because they, they can get financial aid where a proper solicitor will represent them. It, it's them choosing to represent themselves. So it's not a question of I'm taking the mickey here out of people that you know don't have the resources to represent themselves. Um, so this guy, he stands up and again, unfortunately, I think he's been watching the telly too much. And he says to me um, very loudly and proudly and again, sort of building up and almost shouting from the box which was uh, bizarre, really, given the, the sort of case it was. Uh, he said, officer, I'd like you to pick up the the exhibit number, whatever, you know, which was in front of me, which was a small leaflet. So I picked it up, looking fairly unimpressed and uninterested at this point at him. Uh, and he says to me, um, I want you to look at this. What is this in front of you? Explain to the court. I said, well, it's a leaflet and it's for the local car park near the international airport down the road. And he's like, yes, it is, you know, and I'd like you to open it out. It's got several pages. Um, what do you see? You know, you said in your evidence that I was reading a map book on my steering wheel when I drove through that red light. And then he goes on with that. I put it to you, which is the sort of thing you see on the telly. It does get said a lot in court. Um, I put it to you that could have been this I was looking at. So I was thinking, what a ridiculous question. Uh, so I'm opening this leaflet in front of me. I was going, well, it's got several pages, so it's in book format. And if I turn to the back page, it appears to have a map to show you how to get to it. So in my evidence, I said you were looking at a map book. So yes, this leaflet that consists of pages and is a book that has a map on it. Yes, this could have been the leaflet stroke map book you were looking at when you went through the red light. Thank you, officer. That's what I thought, you know, and kind of sat down and I was like, I just, I'm not sure he's figured out yet that regardless of whether he was reading the ingredients for a chocolate wrapper when he went through the red light on his steering wheel, the whole issue is the kind of reading things, you know, when you go through. I don't think he ever figured that out. Or maybe after he sat down then realised that he just dropped himself in it even more and he actually, um, there was a careless driving as well that he'd been charged with too. And that then got, he got convicted of both the red light and the careless driving because clearly he's just admitted he was reading the thing on the steering wheel. 
So this is what I mean about, uh, yeah, court. It's a funny old thing. Um, I'm just going to finish up with one more, uh, a quick story that you'll like in relation to court. We were tasked one day with um, heading out to a, a really nasty armed robber. He was an armed robber with um, not a firearm. I think it was uh, with a bat because had it been a firearm, it would have been an armed job. We were tasked to go and arrest this guy in the early hours of the morning. Six of us went out, put the door in and uh, go bursting into this lounge. Now, this guy had a real reputation, very violent, real nasty piece of work. Big guy as well, worked out in the gym, huge. So we were expecting, you know, real problems. And they, as I say, he's got a real local reputation, this guy. So the door goes in, we go in to get hold of him. And uh, everyone, the whole world just stood still for a couple of seconds. We're looking around at each other as he is at us. Everyone is just totally silent and looking at each other and thinking, well, this is awkward because there before us in all his glory, all his muscular glory, is Mr. Nasty Arm Robber wearing a very nice set of sheer uh, stockings and suspenders, high heels, a basque, stockings, the whole bit, and strutting around his living room. It was red, see-through. I mean, it was a really nice outfit, but <laughs> we just we were completely shocked. And, and this guy could not believe that we'd put the door in and found him. But even worse, he, you know, we said, look, okay, you're getting arrested for armed robbery, you know, and he, he was totally accepting of that. He was fine. He said, I don't care what happens. I, you know, I'll happily go with you. No problems at all. But I'm telling you, please do not take me in this outfit. Let me get changed first. Well, of course, this was our opportunity for a bit of fun. So we were like, no, 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 that can't happen because uh, forensically, you know, for all we know, you could have been wearing this outfit on the day, maybe underneath the clothes you were wearing. So there could be some forensic opportunities on your outfit. We're going to have to take you into custody like that. So this, this poor guy, nasty as he was, got taken out there in handcuffs in this very nice outfit, off to custody, and then stood there before the custody sergeant to be booked in, in this complete, you know, negligee outfit, and just had a stream of cops and solicitors and uh, you know, the sort of uh, custody nurse and doctor coming out to have a look at him. Everyone coming to have a look at him, basically, while he just wanted the ground to swallow him up. But even better, when it came to court, and I wasn't actually called. For one occasion, they realised that I had sort of very little evidence to offer. It came to court and my friend was called uh, into the box. And the very first thing was, uh, you know, so talk me through your day, officer. Well, you know, we went there and we had this information, armed robber, etc. Bosch, put the door in go in and um, and what did you see you know so of course he starts to say what it see and can you describe what the male was wearing you know and um he starts off with uh, it you know well it, it was a rather rather nice outfit you know it was red and it was sheer see-through and he had a stockings basque you know uh, and the suspenders lovely red high heels and a whole bit went on and the court you know there was not a um, a straight face in the court. It was brilliant, you know, that this guy had been caught out like that. So, yeah, courts, funny old thing, um, can be a scary place, can be a terrifying place if you know you've done something wrong and you're praying for that question not to be asked. Um, but um, overall, uh, a huge waste of, of uh, police hours where you get requested to go and you'll sit there all day for nothing to be told that, you're not required, you know, oh, we'll call you back in three months. Uh, so very, very annoying. But uh, yes, courts, courts and a robber in suspenders um, and a MacBook that wasn't a MacBook that was a MacBook. So 
But just a, a few of the strange occurrences. There's many more to come. Thanks very much for listening. That uh, finishes off today. Um, as I say, uh, you know where we are. We're available to listen to across the various sort of podcast things. Uh, I think I mentioned before we we started a or I've started a, a YouTube channel as well, cunningly named Police Story Podcasts. Um, and it depends. You may be listening to this on there, but obviously the good thing with YouTube is it gives you an opportunity to um, add some comments if you want to, good or bad. I don't care. Um, feedback's always good and um, and again if you had any questions at all I'll try and answer those as well so you can do that on on YouTube Please Story Podcast okay thanks very much for listening take it easy and speak to you again soon cheers bye